That's how it all started. God planned our salvation way back in eternity. And we've been preaching the same message over and over and over and over again. How God saves the sinner. The importance of everybody coming to know the Lord Jesus. Got to come to him, got to know him. Regardless of how nice you are, how clean you've lived, how old you are, how young you are, you've got to know Christ. You've got to come to him to have your sins forgiven and to have eternal life. Well, we're in John 17, and uh, John 17 is like the whole gospel put into one chapter. There's everything in here from God's eternal love to the glory that sinners will have when they see the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we're at verse 18. So I think we will start once more at verse 9 because that's a very pivotal verse, a very important verse for us to always keep in mind. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And here's our verse for tonight. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world as by our heads. Father, always when we read, we realize how precious thy word is and how fresh it is always to our hearts, no matter how many times we've read it, how many times we read it, thy word just blesses our heart. It's food to our souls, it's drink to our souls, and we ask tonight that thou wilt teach our hearts. Thy Spirit will take the other scriptures and these scriptures that we read and teach us. Make them real to our heart. We pray this tonight for these people here, for everyone on the highways. We know this is a traveling week and we pray for our people that thou watch and care for them throughout this week. But at this time, we ask thee to teach us in this lesson. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, last week, when we 
taught you. We used the first part of that verse, as thou hast sent me into the world, and we went into so many little details of our Lord coming into this wilderness of a world, leaving the glories of heaven and the wonders of heaven, the love of heaven, and coming down into a country occupied by a foreign nation with soldiers on every corner. Their God-given religion had dissipated to traditions of men and uh, had a semblance of religion because they talked about Moses, they talked about Abraham, but they made up their own rules as they went. So we had talked about our Lord being sent here by the Father. Now tonight, we're going to talk about the second part. It says, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now, why are we sent? Well, in the first place, we are not our own. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Know ye not, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So one of the reasons why we are sent here is because that's God's business. He sends us here to be a witness, to be a light, and we'll have that in a little bit. But the fact that we're not on our own trip, you see, we're not here upon our own business. We are sent as Christ's chosen ones, redeemed ones, as Christ's adopted ones. Look at Ephesians 1.5. We're so prone to forget these precious, precious things that are in the scriptures and that apply only to believers. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. If God predestinates anybody, what a wonderful, wonderful blessing this is. It doesn't happen to everybody. When he talks to us about us in here, he's talking about the saints which are at Ephesus and the people that will read God's word. But to be, to have God work out our lives for us. Now, you and I can't see the road that we're on. Particularly before God interferes into our life. We're out there doing our thing, loving the world, loving sin, being just like everybody else. And God has to interfere into the life of the one that he intends to save. And then when that one is brought down as a lost sinner, and you can read in the scriptures, according as he has chosen us and him before the foundation of the world, to be chosen and to be predestinated by God means that you're going to end up just exactly like he planned it for you. 
You're going to find out you're not your own. You're not here because you've got something to accomplish. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We have a progressive sanctification as we live this life. We actually should be getting easier to live with. Okay. Now, he who sent us into the world could easily remove us from it in just a moment. Sometimes he does. You know who got removed real, real early? John the Baptist. Who would have ever thought that a person so prepared, a person that was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures to be the messenger of the Messiah, the one who would prepare the way, and then when he did come, he was reverently feared and Droves of people heard him preach and many, many people were baptized for remission of their sins. He cut the Pharisees and the scribes to the quick with his straightforward preaching. Boy, if anybody would have been the captain of the team, the head of the apostles, you and I would have elected John the Baptist. God didn't do it that way. Took him out. In the very beginning of our Lord's ministry, John the Baptist sent to prison was beheaded. Say, what a waste. Yeah, it seems like it. That's God's, God's business. It's better to be with the Lord, Paul told us, than to have to go through this struggle here. I mean, for the individual. Paul said, man, I'd much rather be with Christ, but it's more needful for me to be here to preach to you. Parade now. I have sent them into the world, he says, not into paradise. The world is a school where God's children are taught by the Holy Ghost to know themselves and learn what sin is. It is in the world's disappointments, in the world's foolishness, in the world's temptations, in the world's tribulations, snares, its sinfulness, and its falsehood, it's these that teach us the corruption of our own hearts, the bankruptcy of self, and the malice of the devil. Here we learn to hate and distrust ourselves, all the more as we realize the preciousness of the blood which he has washed us in. Now, in the world, we learn to live by faith and live in hope. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, that's such a basic, basic thing to believe that God is. You know what that means? That means, first of all, you believe that God is the creator. How do you believe that? Look at verse 3, through faith. 
through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Our God created the earth out of nothing. There was nothing there, and then all at once there was this beautiful round ball 25,000 miles in diameter. Created it out of nothing. That's what it means in verse 6, that you must believe that he is. This God, the creator, the all-powerful one, not only created the earth, but the sun, the moon, and the stars, and everything that there is. And then there's a vast creation of invisible things that you and I never see. Angels are one of them, and there are many thousands and thousands of angels created individually. That's the God we believe in. We must believe that he is. And then this invisible God in time became a visible God. He was the exact image of God, but he walked in flesh. He came to earth. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God has made it easy for the human race to understand who God is and the attributes of God by himself becoming one of us. And that not only showed us the attributes of God, but it showed us the depravity of the human race. That when God himself came in a person, in the flesh, they rejected him. They persecuted him. They hated him. And they finally tortured him and put him to death. I don't think our Lord had to go through that. He could have easily, easily destroyed all of his enemies, not had to do that. But it was God's plan from back in eternity that he would be the sacrificial lamb or the acceptable sacrifice for the payment of your sins and mine. I can't be bothered with the disciples or all the believers back in the New Testament or the Old Testament or the believers in the 1700s or 1800s. We're, we're right down to where we are today. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the sin debt of all who believe in our own congregation. Believers, those that believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not half-heartedly, not using a little head knowledge and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I think he was born on Christmas Day and that he healed a lot of people and that uh, he was uh, just too defenseless, too meek of a person to take care of himself and so they killed him. No, it's not like that at all. That's a head knowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ. The believing knowledge is to know that he is your substitute. He and he alone can give us eternal life. He and he alone paid for our sin debt. And he and he alone grants you mercy. You see, this person that came 2,000 years ago, 
Now, really and truly, it doesn't make any difference when he came, but we know that he came. Now, those in the Old Testament before the Lord Jesus came, I think, had a much more difficult time in believing than you and I do, because we've got the complete story. This is history. This is the finest history book there is. There's no other history book in the world that compares with God's Word. You and I have the history. We've got the story. And the Holy Spirit makes that story real to the hearts of believers, that they would die for this story. Nobody can tell them that this story is not true because God's Holy Spirit that indwells believers makes it real to them. So even by faith we understand how the worlds were made so we can also understand what it means that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him because that reward is forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Oh, what a great gospel. I said that we learn to live by faith. We're just talking about faith. And live in hope. Romans 8, 24 and 25. Romans 8, 24 and 25. Living in hope. It says, for we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. This would only have to do with God's promises. We know they'll be fulfilled, for God cannot lie. And this hope that runs through the scriptures is described for us in verse 23. The Lord's going to come and give us new bodies. It says, uh, let's read verse 22 also. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. How does it do that? Tornadoes, hurricanes, tidal waves, pestilence, wars, all kinds of things. This planet that we live on is just one massacre after another. So then verse 23 says, And not only they, not only just the creation, but ourselves also, individual believers, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. What does call Paul call the adoption? He says, To wit the redemption of our body, when Christ comes to give us our new body. Your body and mine needs to be redeemed. It needs to be changed. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ saves our souls while we're here in this body. But this body is going to die unless the Lord comes back and changes it. But it's appointed unto man once to die. It's going to happen to everybody. Sad thing is, there's something else follows that verse. It says, but after this, the judgment. Now that's for normal, natural people throughout the world. That's for the world's population. There's just something a little bit different about a believer. Because he can die and his judgment has already been accomplished. 
When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ as a lost, ruined, hell-deserving sinner, you have your day in court. It might be more than a day. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year. It might be ten years. It doesn't make any difference how long you stand guilty before God. He will deliver you. You will be set free. You do have a mediator. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called an advocate over there in First John 2. An advocate is a lawyer. You need the best you can get. That's him. He stands between man and God because he's both. He's got power with men. He's got power with God. And therefore, he can forgive your sin. Now, the Father sent Christ into the world as his servant. Okay, let's see how that is. That's verse uh, Isaiah 42.1. Isaiah 42.1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. You see, God didn't just say that at the baptism of our Lord or at a Mount of Transfiguration or one time just before their crucifixion. But he's telling us right here that he delights in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Isn't that great? Look at verse 7. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. It's no fun in prison. I speak to fellas in prison, and... They think it's the most awful place they've ever been, and yet there are other places more awful than they all know it. But it's a terrible environment because they think because they are prisoners that the language they use can be just the most filthy of all kinds. So these fellas that I teach and talk to, some of them are trying to talk decently. They read some. Some read more than others. But they find it a very, very difficult place to be spiritual. And yet you couldn't have a better place to be spiritual because you can see that there is nothing spiritual in the world but your Bible and you at the same time. And there's many, many scriptures that talk about our Lord bringing them out of the prison house. But you see they're in another prison house, which is Satan's prison. And Satan makes it so comfortable in prison that the people love it. They love their prison. They love their guard. They love the freedom that they have in their prison. Well, that's just another whole message there. I said that the Father sent Christ into the world to be a servant, and then Christ sends his dear people into the world as his servants. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. The scripture we're talking about is when he said, 
as you have sent me into the world, so also I send them into the world. And the Lord was sent in as a servant. And look what God's people are sent in to do. Verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5. Now then we are ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ did be reconciled to God. This being an ambassador is the same thing as being a, a witness, a servant, whatever. We are representing the Lord Jesus Christ and we ask people, we beg people to be reconciled to God. See, people have to know that they need to be reconciled. That's, that's the part of the gospel that people don't like. They don't like this part of the gospel that says that a sinner is depraved, that he's condemned, and that there's no way out apart from them coming to a substitute. Now, they don't like that. They, there's some in jail don't like to hear that. Even though they're prisoners... And they're in there for a crime. They still feel that there are other people worse than them. And they don't deserve to be called a guilty, lost, hell-deserving sinner. But there aren't that many there in jail. Most of them accept the fact that they know they are sinners. You don't have to prove to them they're a sinner. They're there because they have not only broken God's laws, but they've broken men's laws. So we're ambassadors, all right. So Christ was sent to be a servant, we're sent to be ambassadors or servants too. Christ was sent into the world to magnify the law. Look at Matthew 5.17, you'll see that brought to light. Matthew 5.17, Sermon on the Mount. As often as I've read this part as a younger man, before God really interfered into my life, it didn't mean much. But our Lord says here, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, meaning set it aside. Let's, let's set up a new regime. Let's make up a few new laws. Let's not make it so serious and so bad and... Uh, I'm come, I'll preach, and we'll we'll find a way to make it easier. Oh, he said, I, uh, I didn't come for that. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to keep God's law perfectly. <coughs> okay? Now, we are sent into the world to magnify the law ourselves. First of all, turn to Romans 3.19. Romans 3.19, I'm going to show you how we can magnify the law. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. When a sinner shuts his mouth, when a sinner becomes guilty, in front of God. Because a lot of people may pretend to be guilty in front of others. That's not what counts. It says before God, then they're magnifying the law. 
then the law has done its work in the sinner's heart. Because God has given us this law not to keep it. Oh, by keeping it, you, you live a perfectly wonderful, clean life. That's great. You're supposed to do that. But you don't keep it to gain salvation because you can't keep it perfectly. You might break one commandment one day and then keep it the next. You might keep it the rest of your life after you've broken it, but it's too late. You've broken it. But it's to show you that you've got to turn to one who kept it in order to have a righteousness. That's how you get a righteousness. So that's how the sinner magnifies the law. And I'll give you an example of one poor old sinner who knows he broke the law, how he magnified it. And that's in Luke 18, 13. Luke 18, 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What did he know about his sin? Which ones did he break? Which commandments? Don't tell us, does it? But you see, when God shows a person they're a sinner, they're not concerned about what commandments they have kept. They're concerned about breaking God's law, period. And therefore, they know they are a sinner. What a simple, simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. From the depth of his heart, didn't care who was watching. Didn't care about the Pharisee very close by who belonged in the temple, who worked there. Said they wouldn't even as much as lift up his eyes to heaven, ashamed, but crying from the depths of his heart, God be merciful to me a sinner. You know what happened? God saved him. Our Lord says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified. That's wonderful. That's as much as you can accomplish in life. That's the whole sum and substance of living. is to know that you are justified. That word justified means justified never sinned. That's having the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ imputed to you. Knowing that Christ died for you as a sinner. Well, Christ overcame the world. And his people overcome the world. Look at 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. For who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? How important to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just to hear about him. Not just to read in the Bible all the stories about him. But to know that he died for you. That he is God. He's called the Son of God. But he's the only begotten Son of God. 
the miraculous birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is something that still totally confuses the world. They don't believe it. But he was God come down in the flesh. Okay? Now, Christ was called the light of the world. He was the light of the world and he sends his people to be the light. First of all, look at John 1.5. John 1.5 And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's a description of all mankind by nature. Darkness. See, over in the third chapter of John, it says, And men love darkness rather than light. They would rather have their own religion. They'd rather have their own way. They'd rather have anything but the Lord Jesus Christ because he's their substitute. you got to have him. There's no way of getting around having the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to have him. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Very dogmatic. It's not bragging. He's telling you God's plan of salvation. Got to come through the sun. He was a light. Darkness comprehended it not. Verse 9. John 1. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. Okay. Now turn to John 8.12. John 8.12. And you hear in the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's what he says. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want to show you, natural man, and I believe it's in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Let's take a peek over there. Fourth chapter of Ephesians. We're going to talk about darkness now and blindness. Verse 17 and 18 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We're finding darkness and blindness in the natural, normal human being. And this is the reason why they refused the Lord Jesus Christ who said that he is the light of the world who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, without any light, any spiritual light, any knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they live after the flesh. They live like animals. They, whatever they lust after, they desire, they work for, they plot and plan. 
And it all has to do with pleasing the flesh, pleasing the mind. In fact, Ephesians uh, 2, 3 tells you how the mind and the, uh, the flesh go together. The mind will plot it and the flesh will do it. Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. And that's where people like to live, right there. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, who controls what? Does the flesh control the mind or the mind control the flesh? Well, I want to tell you. The mind works it out. The flesh only performs what the mind schemes. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's all believers or just like any other unbelievers until God interferes into your life. If you don't interfere into your life, you're in trouble. You might not think so. You might be the happiest person on the face of the earth. You might have everything going for you. Might even have, might even have good kids. Might even have kids that obey you and, and, and behave and are nice to be around. That doesn't happen in every family. Some families have it. Some families have daddies that have businesses and they're very rich. And they hand their business over to the kids and the kids get rich and they live a very good life to them. Go to college, get good education and good jobs. But you know what? None of that does you any good if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to know him if you want to have eternal life. Well, okay. Now, he sends his people to be a light. Christ was the light of the world, but in Matthew 5, 16, it says, and he sends his people to be lights in the world. Verse 14, 15, and 16 in chapter 5 of Matthew. Ye are the light of the world. A sea that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know why he sent us into the world? To be lights. Okay? Christ was sent to be a witness against the world. Oh, look at it. John 3.19. John 3.19 This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. So far the world thinks it's standing well. The rest of this verse condemns the world. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the natural heart of everybody. Until God regenerates the heart, the Holy Spirit indwells and leads that person throughout the rest of their life. So as Christ was sent to be a witness against the world, so we're sent to be a witness against the world. And here's what the Bible tells you about the world is in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and we'll be over. 
Is there love not the world? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, can you imagine that everything in the world is tied up in those three things? Everything. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And that's what this school system teaches. That's what our country teaches. The world teaches its people. Get all you can and can all you get. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. It means when you die, you leave it all at the graveside. Nothing goes with you. Men will be judged by their works. God records every work a person does. In fact, every idle word a person speaks, they're going to be judged by. So when that passes away, when you pass out of the world, the world's passed away from you too. It's over. It's done. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You die being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes back, he gives you a new body. You live forever. Your soul will never die. Your soul is going to live forever. In one place or the other, either in heaven or in hell. That's why we preached, telling you all about it. Letting you be informed that there are two places, only two. And the Lord Jesus Christ has made a way possible for anybody to have eternal life and have their sins forgiven by merely believing on him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon our study tonight. Thank thee for the words, for the scriptures, for thy spirit, and making these things real to our hearts, for some of the thoughts thou hast given us. We're very, very poor in remembering. We're poor students, and yet we're eager students. We ask you to continue to teach our hearts. Again, we ask for thy protection on the highways. This coming week, it's a dangerous week. We pray for all of our people. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.